How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Oh, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. What do you think? That was great. <laughs> that was totally great. How would it feel? Not great. Why? Good, good plus. But but you you're like building up your lungs and everything, right? You're doing some bicycling. And my getting tonality, ready for my tonality was off though. Like I kind of, I went high and then low, and then I kind of drooled a little bit. So I was self conscious about that. Yeah, I didn't notice that. But but and, I had to and remember like, it is it. it is radio. So right. But now that you know, audience, it was quite something to see. <laughs> yes, I was riding, and I feel like I'm overheated a little bit right now. Yeah. A little delirious. Have some water. Yeah, got plenty. So salt wh- in the water, by the way. I need to understand the science on that. Yeah. Well, I was uh, introduced to salt pills and really salty uh, mixtures in the water, and it's been great. Yeah. Really great. Because well, you're losing a lot of your sodium. When you when, sweat. When you sweat. So it holds it in. Yeah, because having low sodium can lead to all sorts of real difficulty mm. with your cognition and every, a lot of things. So good. Good. I'm glad you're you know, getting salted. So I'm salted and hydrated? Well, we don't want you as salted. No, definitely not. Absolutely not. The, that, the salt... I mean, we don't want you peppered with salt. Is this different than hydrated, though? Well, it's, it's part of being hydrated. Okay. So yeah. it's holding the water it's, it in? It is, absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. That's what some of, the, some of the team folks right. were saying today, and I but, wasn't sure if they were on point. Why are you doing the bicycle? What's happening? Let's hear PMC. Yeah, right. July. We're, we're um, one month away, so it's go time. Uh, started off slow in the training process. Again, not a cyclist. You're not going to see me out there riding except for getting ready for this amazing weekend of gratitude, which is the first weekend in August every year. So we're, you know, it was hot last year. So we ride on Thursday nights and it was hot tonight. And you know what? It might be hot uh, the first weekend in August too. So let's uh, let's get some sodium in us and uh, Sweat it out. Yeah, I mean, the global warming is really right mm-hmm. here. Hottest days ever recorded in the planet. Did you read about that? No. Yeah, it's here. It's hot. You know. Yep. So we have a lot to be grateful for. We want things to cool down a little bit. But in the process, what do you do, you know, to entertain yourself in the heat? And some people do all sorts of things to entertain. So I wonder whether you could introduce our guest for tonight as we talk about... How people entertain themselves. I would love to. I would be honored Please to introduce our guest. Now, our guest is a special human being and super humble. So she's sitting next to me saying, oh, don't. No, no. But you're, you're going to be hard-pressed, Thomas, to find her bio anywhere, right? If you're digging around, there's no bio to find. She's known for, quote, roping people in to volunteer, However, if you shift that paradigm, I think what she's really trying to do is share the love of helping others. Mm -hmm. So she's bringing that to these folks. She's touched thousands, and I mean thousands, of families in her work. I didn't know Mother Teresa. This is got to be the closest human being (laughs) to Mother Teresa. Dr. Joe, please welcome the one and only Kim Barassa. 
Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Kim. And I mean every word of that. Yeah, that's that's quite. She's touched my family of the thousands of families. Yeah, mine. Yeah, is one. How was that? She brought us into the world. Mm-hmm. She brought us into the world and and shared her passion of helping others. And um, she's quite a leader yeah. in that. So how is this for you, Kim? I've been watching this on uh, Facebook for uh, several years, so it's kind of interesting to actually see the uh, real workings of the uh, Dr. Joe show after watching it uh, through the Facebook lens. So, And here, I don't, maybe I listen to it on the radio, but mostly Facebook. But, uh, I mean, I'm honored to be here among two people that I uh, listen to your stories. And, um, Mark, I've become a disciple of uh, Mark's work that through you, passing down to other people and dispersing to many, many people. I think just being a part of the, I grew up in Marshfield and I'm just proud to be a part of this community and just help give back because lots of people have helped me and I'm really, really dedicated to just keeping Marshfield being the great place that it is. So that's my mission. It And you're accomplishing it. It's really nice to see that. Tell us, how are you accomplishing this mission? What have you been doing? Ah, well, today I worked at the Boys and Girls Club uh, all day, then went to the fair for a meeting for uh, Levitate because we're running the parking for Levitate because that's a community organization that's helping give back to the Boys and Girls Club. So we met with the safety people, and that's where I'll spend my whole weekend. But um, I'm a teacher at the Marshall Public Schools, product of the Marshall Public Schools that I grew up at. And uh, just pretty much wherever my uh, whatever puddle my own children were in, I got myself involved in it, like starting with youth sports and coaching soccer and then um, CCD classes. As a special educator, there were many families that were in classes with my own children that uh, the kids were missing out on the milestones of First Communion and Confirmation. So as my kids went through those programs, I jumped in and roped a few people in, as Mark would say, roped them in to help out. And uh, the next thing you know, we have you know programs in the town for youth sports and confirmation and anything that every other kid in Marshall does, we just figure out a way that everyone can do it, regardless of their abilities or disabilities. So I think it's been pretty much no one ever says no when I ask them to help and then they kind of get on board and realize it's not that hard and then I can kind of leave that area and go on to the next place that's I'm needed and other people pick up the charge so um, I Mark's kids I kind of met through Loon Mountain that's my second passion um, teaching skiing up there and the Stiles family showed up to ski and then <laughs> we hired Mark as a coach we laughed because he probably spent more on the lodge on uh, beverages and snacks than he made you know, minimum wage, seven fifty an hour up there. People would laugh when I tell him what he, you know, he's kind of a big wig around Marshfield. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, Mark helped us with the teenage CIT program, just kind of helping to. What's CIT? Uh, coach and training. Okay. So we had this group of kids that had grown up in our program and just were, you know, kind of dabbling in becoming coaches. So, Mark was a great role model for that group of kids, and you know, met with them each week before they'd start teaching and you know, work on behavior management skills and positive thinking and, you know, what was their why and everything that Mark represents, and it really helped make a difference with these kids. I think some of them, my own kids included, have carried that, you know, now a lot of them are in college. So mm-hmm. so I just want to point out how you shifted the focus yes, away from I yourself. I want to do that, too. Over to Mark. I would love to point that out because this is about you, Kim, and I want to kind of highlight where... Let me fill in some of the blanks, right? Okay. I'm a teacher in the public school system. No. 
she is a godsend <laughs> to many families with chil- with children with special needs. Mm-hmm. And what she is able to do for those families is really, really special. The advocate for inclusion, right? So the immersion of these kids with the um, students in the student body of these schools is so normalized because of this person here. It's, it's so wonderful to see and to see it firsthand, to understand growing up you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was not like that. And to see what she has done in this community because it's the benefit of all, right? Mm-hmm. So the families, obviously, but the kids who get to immerse with them and share with them, it's so special there as well. And this I think, though, community. it's a generation thing. I think as well, it's our, evolution yeah, too, right? As our kids grew up, like when we were growing up, we didn't have that opportunity because a lot of these. Um, you know, our peers that had special needs were sent to either mm-hmm. institutions or special schools and they weren't in the community. But then when deinstitutionalization happened and they started saying, okay, they need to go back to their schools and their communities, people had to figure out how to do that. And like my generation wasn't a part of that. Like we weren't the people that were, you know, running the institutions. We always were the good people that really worked hard to help include the people. So I think my own kids they didn't know any different. Like I always tell the story, my um, twins were in preschool and one of their classmates had cancer and wasn't starting preschool with them at the same time. And she started, the, the girl started probably like November and she'd been undergoing chemotherapy and her hair was, had fallen out and she was starting and her mother was very nervous and it was in the same building I was teaching at. And I went out to see after her first day and the mother was a wreck of what the kids were going to think because she looked different. And one of my twins came running out and I was standing with this girl's mother and she said, oh, we had a new girl. And I'm like, oh, please, Karen, please don't say anything about her bald. And I go, oh, that was nice. And she goes, she was kind of different. I'm like, what? She goes, she wore a dress all day. Like, my kids don't wear (laughs) dresses. And this girl didn't change out of her dress. Like, she kept it on the whole day. So to my kid, that's what was different about her, not that she was bald and her face was swollen. So I think it's just they're different. It's not a good or bad. Mm -hmm. And the kids in Marshfield have been exposed to all types of disabilities and abilities, and they just – they don't think anything of right. it. They just, you know. No. And, and, you know, I, I prefer to call them unique abilities rather mm. than disabilities. Yeah. And, and we have some unique abilities with our sponsors as well who have amazing things that they can offer. So with that immersion idea, uh, Larry, let's take a commercial break, and we'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, folks. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We've been investigating whether or not we want to bring sponsors into our podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you know somebody who might be a good partner with the Dr. Joe Show, who may want to align their product or service with the Dr. Joe Show? Think about it. And we're back with the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you for cueing me in, Larry. It's so nice to be here in the studio. It really is nice to be in the studio. It's like live nice or you, Memorex. Larry. It is. It is. Kind of like the Easter Bunny, whether it's solid or hollow. We've got a solid Easter Bunny tonight. 
Yes, that's a hairy situation. Mm. <laughs> Can we get back to our guest? I'd be happy to. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, Dr. Joe, bring it. Um, so, Kim Barassa, yeah. we were talking the other day about um, screens and what is going on with the preteens, younger, even tweeners, and, uh, and elementary. We're about, like real screens. Screens, because, because, like you gaming. Know, okay, because gaming. There, there are screening tools to yeah, screen no. for something. This is really the three-dimensional physical screen that kids have been looking at. Yes, okay. for which a lot of folks of our generation get very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Too much time on the screen. You're spending too much time gaming, right? I'm sure there's listeners out there sitting back saying, hmm, I've said that before. Yep. And are we at a point where it's gone? Are we at a point where stop fighting the fight because technology is here? And it's a, I've heard I heard someone say today, tech native. This this kid is a this child is tech native. They mm. were born and raised with tech. Mm. Or is there some form of regulation? Is there some form of ability to dial it back and and have some of the old school nature? The old school get outdoors. Well, that's the Boys and Girls Club right now that I'm working at this summer is they're going screen-free. Um, they, they hosted some dances for fifth graders this year, and they made it – the kids could not bring their phones. And I think the parents complained about it more than the kids. Like they were calling the club and they were saying things like, well, how am I going to know where to meet my kid mm. after the dance if they don't have their phone? And Jim, the director, was like – they're going to walk out the door and look through the parking lot and find you like the way you used to find your parents. And the parents were like nervous that they weren't going to have this instant way to communicate. And they felt like the kids actually relaxed because they weren't worried about being videoed or recorded yes. or posted on Twitter. Yeah, let's write, really let's write that one down because that, that actually leads to a, a whole... The parent piece? Yeah. The attachment piece. of the parents? Right. And maybe it's safer for the parent to have their kid indoors was there playing any, the game. Was there any conversation around, uh, I, don't, I can't track my kid, I can't see where my kid is? Because no, because the parents becoming, dropped them off. They, right. they had to drop them off and pick them back up. And, right. I mean, the kid, every kid that got out of the car, we said, you don't have a phone, right? And if we found a phone, we okay. took it. But mo- the kids pretty much respected it. And, but I think it was the parents are so used to having that instant communication. Right. Right, there, there certainly is that. But, but you had brought something up with Mark in particular because there's something that you're experiencing in real time right. when it comes to kids and screens and gaming. Right, so my own kids are in college, and I feel like they just missed like, what's happening right now. And as a teacher, like we keep saying like this is the real result of COVID is what's happening now. So I have um, two boys staying with my family right now who have had unlimited access to computers, video games, the Oculus virtual reality headsets. And I'm just shocked at just, it's a drug. And I'll send them outside to play and they'll go outside for five minutes, even with me out there. And everything we offer, dirt bike riding, kayaking, basketball, swimming, is boring. And they just always want access to get back inside to play video games. And literally when they go to bed at night, I'm taking the controllers 
the cords for my two TVs in the keyboard and I have to lock it in a box because they're trying to get, they, they would stay up all night long and play. They would never stop playing. And when they get home from school, that's the first thing. And they literally have no limit. If I let them play, they would play nonstop. Now, how old are these kids? Eight and 13. Hmm. And the, the headsets are even scarier because you can't see what they're seeing. Mm. And I could hear some of the things that you know people were saying. Like one of them, one of the games they play is this gorilla tag. And I'm thinking it's a great thing because the kid's running around the house and his arms are reaching like he's chasing someone. Um, but then he was watching someone play it. Because this is another thing that the kids mm. do is in addition to playing it, they go watch on YouTube. When I say, okay, you're done playing video games, but you can watch TV, they go on YouTube and they watch other people playing these games. And this gorilla tag was like R-rated. Like the things that the gorilla was doing was not very nice. It was not appropriate for a kid to be watching. But because he had the headset on and I couldn't see it. Wow. So it's like how how can we control it? Like we just – every time you figure one – you're a step ahead, like I can shut down the internet. There's just a – these kids figure out workarounds. And I think it's – you know, I don't know the answer. That's why I was saying to Mark, I'm like, help. Like, has it, like I'm saying, okay, we're not going to watch these inappropriate shows that you've been watching. I'm like, are we going to go watch Shrek, like some nice wholesome movie? But their brain has been flooded with this, you know, above age appropriate, and that's what they're used to seeing. So now I'm like, how can I get them when that's what they've been exposed to back to this level of more innocent age appropriate stuff? Because they've already, you know, been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, I want, I want to bring you into this. Um, what is so compelling, do you think, about these games? That I don't even know if I'm confident saying I'm sure, because gaming's a slightly different animal than when, you know, I was a little kid, because, you know, when I was little, like, you know, four to eight to 12, it's like, yeah, I went outside a lot, and I also played a lot of video games back in the day. Oh, my God, I'm saying that. <laughs> I'm, I've reached yeah. the age where I'm saying that now. When I was a medical student. The, the, the marketing strategy for video games was to make them good. Mm. Now it's to make them gambling, where one is Fortnite Battle Royale, which is an interesting, very interesting business story because it came out as a flop, and then they released this mode called Battle Royale, where... It's over a hundred people can you know play on this huge map, and it's basically Hunger Games, and that took off like gangbusters. And it was free to play. If you wanted to have a special little skin or a hat or what have you, you'd have to use V bucks. What's a V buck? That's the in-game currency, hmm. like uh, like the itchy and scratchy land dollars on The Simpsons. You have to use real money to get that, and it's only good on Fortnite. And so do you pay for V-Bucks? You know, like, like yeah. real bucks for and V-Bucks? And even Halo has been ruined by this. Huh. Well, you've heard stories where people look at their credit card and realize that their kids have racked up yeah. hundreds and thousands of right. dollars even right. purchasing uh, advanced tools on these video games. But, but my, my kids were talking about Zelda, that there's a <clears throat> new version of Zelda. Oh, and, and, they're and just it's like, great. And they're just like <laughs> overwhelmed with it. But I think they're able to to modulate themselves and regulate themselves. Because you know, their brains are starting to right, develop. That's right, because their brains are more developed. So right. this, is, this is really you know, one of the, the questions I think we need to ask before we figure out how to solve the problem is why. Mm. Why are the kids so interested in this? What is so appealing about it? 
what is so compelling about it that they will do this to the exclusion of social interaction, other things. Does that sound familiar? Ding, ding. Dr. Uh. Joe, it makes me think of a thing you say, you should say more often, is that it's not about morality, it's about quality of life. Yeah, that's right. What's missing? What's missing, right. Because if it's an addiction, addiction is not about morality, it's about mortality, it's about the way the brain is. So we're looking at young kids who are drawn into a very compelling world where they probably feel accomplished, where they feel valuable, where they feel that they are competent, and anyone would want to be doing that. So it is a really interesting, interesting dilemma. I heard, um, I went to a speaker who was talking to parents of the preschoolers in Marshfield. The preschool program brought the speaker in because it's just becoming, the screens is a problem for four-year-olds that are on iPads or the parents' phones and they're flipping through. And the, the speaker was talking about, like back in the day when you go to a restaurant, you would be like stressed out with your kids because you're trying to keep them entertained and quiet and you're joking with them and interacting and, you know, the spoons and the drinks. And, and now you just see kids sitting in a restaurant, mm. four-year-old, two-year-old, swiping, 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 and that's that they're missing out. And the, like this lady was saying that these young children aren't picking up on social skills like they used to because they're not observing the world anymore. And this lady was talking about, um, like referring to us, like you're talking about natives, and that we're more digital immigrants. Like we didn't grow up with it. Mm. And she said now they're doing studies of kids' brains and that she's like their brains are actually wired differently than ours because the pathways that are activated in these kids' brains are different because they've grown up with screens. Like, when I grew up, my father wouldn't even let me do my homework with a radio playing classics in the background. My kids can't do work if there's not a lot of stuff going on. Like, they've got their phones going and their computers are going, and it's just it's too quiet. And that's what this lady was saying with the preschool is that they're losing social skills. And this group that's here now in preschool, the four- and five-year-olds, these were the kids that when they were two and three was COVID, and they were in a little hula hoop and they had to stay in their own area and she's like they're missing out on social cues and now the first and second grade students like we have a lot of kids our martinson just hired a social worker because we're really fighting this fight because they're angry when we take away if they're playing a you know a game an educational game and we take the computer it's really upsetting for the kids it's like mm-hmm. taking the drugs away. Yeah. yeah. Right? Flushing them down the toilet. And some are becoming violent. Like, that's become yep. a challenge. Is it yeah. a first grader that's physically aggressive because a computer is being taken away from them is scary. Yeah. So we can certainly address that aggression um, because that is almost an antisocial skill. But we are absolutely tuned into social skills here. And one of the most important one is to be socially welcoming to our sponsors. So with (laughs) that in mind, uh, we will take a commercial break and socially welcome our sponsors. Thank you, Larry. Hey, folks, welcome back. So any thoughts? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you see how they do the sponsors? Is there a way that they're utilizing sponsors that you enjoy or you don't enjoy? I listen to Smartless, and I really enjoy how the co-hosts share the voiceover for the product or service. It's really funny for the most part, but it's unique. It's them really endorsing. Does that work? What do you think? 
And we are back live with the Dr. Joe Show with an amazing guest, Kim Barassa. Yeah. And we're talking about screens right now. We're talking about addiction, not different than other addictions. And I think it's important to put it in that context. You know, if this is an addiction, then we need to understand what's happening in the brain and how we can intervene without creating another situation where the kid wants it even more. Because just like any substance use, if you're addicted to a substance and somebody takes it away from you, part of your brain immediately reacts really with that limbic response, the anger, but it's also the fear that you're not gonna be able to have that pleasure. So wh what are you seeing with, uh, with the kids you're talking about? And then I'd, I'd like to maybe bring Mark into it as well about your kids probably played video games, my kids played video games, but it doesn't always result in that degree of addiction. Um, I think between the boys at my house and then my current students in the school, I just think it's, just, it's that constant search for it, and that's all they want at the exclusion of everything else. And so right now we're just at the point at school and at home with my students at school and the boys at the house is you're always in that negotiation and I'm always, you know, trying to control. And it, I feel like my whole life is spent, like, bartering, okay, you're going to do this, and then you can have 10 minutes of that. And at school, I've been saying, like, to my principal, like, I almost feel like it's like you're microdosing them. Like, you give them a little bit because uh -huh. these kids were so dysregulated when we started school in the fall because a lot of them were just home most of the summer, unlimited access. You know, and I get it because I didn't let my own – Four children play video games like we didn't have the consoles in the house and they could watch tv but limited but why didn't you let them because what, what like studies were saying that it was you know not good for the kids i was worried they might be behind like because i didn't have the video games and the computers but when they got into school they taught them what they needed so but my kids were also active like we had one tv in the house because i just read up and that was like oh no tvs in the bedrooms and you know video games weren't good for them so we just fought the fight and the kids just knew we didn't have it. But with these kids, I'm not going to lie. There are times like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm just tired. I'm old now, and I'm, the fight is – I don't have as much fight in me because you spend all day just defending why they're not going to have it. And then they're doing other things that are, like, disruptive in school. Like you're, if you're fighting, saying, okay, we're not using the computers right now. We're teaching a lesson. We're doing a hands-on experience. They want, this, they want the whiteboard on. Okay, if we do this, then can we have this? Then can we watch something? Then can we use the Chromebooks? All day long. That's our, our thing. And it's, you know, you just, it's almost like they beat you down. But as a teacher, I'm like, this isn't good. That's what I was saying to Mark. I'm like, I need help because I'm afraid, like, people are giving up and saying, okay, we're going to do the lessons. Everything was online during COVID. So we had to really quickly, as teachers, learn how to put the lessons out there on Canvas. And now... I'm saying, oh, we got to take them back. But we've also spent, I don't even know how much Marshfield spent on this great technology. And it is great. You know, the high school kids just got a grant to use cadavers, virtual cadavers, and do autopsies. And that's amazing. But on the other end, you have, you know, second graders that literally can't listen to a lecture. They can't hear you talk anymore. They're just looking for a screen. And the, the boys that live with me, they were telling me about TV. And they're like, we can watch a show but all your shows fit into, like, three themes. The, one of the boys was saying, and he goes, it's just so boring. Because I can tell you what's going to happen in the show in five minutes. 
And why would you want to watch that? It's just boring. But if you watch YouTube, it's all these different things. And I remember hearing that people complained about Sesame Street when we were growing up because it was a snippets and they were saying it was going to ruin our attention span. And like the people before us complained about the radio and the TV always taking people's time. Well, there was actually one generation that complained about the printing press. Yeah, mm. see? <laughs> right. So. so it's an interesting conundrum. I mean, our kids absolutely were watching and we had to put limits on it. Um, but But as you say, you know, there were other things that they were doing as well. Um, it's important that, that we, we don't parent blame on this as right. well, you know, and say, well, if the parents had only been more thoughtful and put more limits on, that's not what it is. You're, 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 you're looking at a brain that gets dopamine, a basic neurohormone of pleasure, a lot of adrenaline, because there's thrill to it um, that's what you're up against it's it's not whether you're a good parent or a bad parent it's recognizing what you have to do but as we know with with all drugs and alcohol dopamine interferes with the neurohormone of trust which is oxytocin not oxycontin oxytocin <laughs> so that is part of the dilemma is it, it is influencing the relationship um, now these these are, are not your biological children. Right. Foster children. They're foster children. So I don't know whether that adds any dimension to it, but it would be interesting. We don't need to go into what these kids' lives have been like, but we do know that kids who have come from families that have ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, are at greater risk for all sorts of addictions and all sorts of medical problems as a result of, of untreated ACEs, because right? the ACEs will result in a cortisol response, a stress response, which then does all sorts of things to your body because you're in a constant fight-flight-freeze mode. And the cortisol interferes with dopamine, which is a neurohormone of pleasure, as well as with oxytocin. So it makes sense in some ways that kids who come from that environment may be more at risk for addiction, not just for drugs and alcohol, but for anything that gives them at least some relief, some pleasure. You know? So it's important to look at it this way. I think that that's true for that group. But when you look across like the school population, I mean, I, I look at kids with the parents that are the most involved that are calling with the same concerns, like we're fighting this, where you know, the parents who were, my friends who were teachers who are like, I don't know what to do because that's all they want to do. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's, to me, it's, it's just become such a level of concern because in the schools we do let the kids have access to computers. The preschool workshop I was at, it was 50-50. Some parents are like, nope, my kids aren't having any screens. But it's hard to keep them away because they have, preschools have Chromebooks and right. preschools have right. screens. And it's that feeling that the kids get immediately from the screens I mean, yeah. when you see a two-year-old in the supermarket, you know, in the carriage while they're shopping, like the lady that was saying, kids aren't learning through observing anymore because they don't look up. You know, they're looking at the screens in front of them. She was talking about the dividers in supermarkets and how we know that that's, you, that's there to stop your food from being charged with the next person. And she's like, a lot of kids now when they go to the supermarket because they're on devices, they don't even notice that that's a thing. 
I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's such a sad thing that kids don't pick up on just the world around them because their heads are down. Mm-hmm. Mark, what about your experiences but with that? It's so much easier than having the kid take everything out of the grocery cart and throw yep. it, throw it back out, and you know, it's the babysitter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you started to touch on it, um, you know, with the parent shaming component. But there's also like an awareness factor to it. Is you know, Julie having studied this and been very diligent about like what Kim was saying. Like we we did the research. Like we're going to have you know some real uh, guidelines and regulations around it. And and by doing that, I think it helped create this environment of like, eh, what's the big deal? I don't really like video games. Anyhow, I'm going to go outside and dig in the dirt. Um, but Nurse Styles texted me while we were off air and was saying that there are huge struggles within the elementary school where she's saying that there's first graders falling asleep in class because they're uh, savvy enough to wait for their parents to go to bed. And then they turn the cut game console back on and they play at night and then they get up and go to school and you can imagine how that day is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm always <laughs> looking for solves, right? We're always looking for the, the solution of, of things. And, you know, I think that's what Kim's here as well. Is right. to, you know, what, what can we do? You know, has the horse left the barn? Well, it, it may have, but that doesn't mean that we, we can't, can't go get him. Go get him, but but the example you just gave is actually interesting because what what you just described was a kid who makes a plan. Right. I'm going to wait until my parents fall asleep, and then I will execute this plan. But they're not thinking about what will happen the next no. day, and that they will fall asleep in class. So. You know, your your ability to anticipate the future as a young kid can only go so far. That's exactly why we ask kids from drugs and alcohol to wait until their brains are more developed. And it is the same with this. Mm. We have more and more literature to support the idea that if we can get a kid to wait before that first screen, that first game, they are at less risk of developing an addiction to it. Sounds familiar. Mm. So, you know, again, I, I, I don't think any of us meant to provide a stimuli for our kids that potentially could right. be addictive. But here it is. So now, yes, now what, what do we do about it? I think it's adults as well, though. Like I was saying to Mark, like my own phone, I have Facebook, and I would say I'm definitely addicted to Facebook. I'm like... I don't drink like that's basically my drug of choice when I'm upset or at the end of the day like that's what I'm doing I now have an hour self-imposed time limit through my phone Hmm. that's on and my husband has the password because he hates screens and once I use my hour I can't go on unless he puts a password to unlock it and like some mornings I wake up at five and I've used my hour before I even get out of bed I've already used up my hour and I literally feel kind of like sick the rest of the day mm. just knowing I can't go on Facebook. And I, I, like I said, I know it's a physical reaction. Like sometimes I don't like to clean and might as well be like, I'm taking your phone away. You're on the phone too much until you clean. And if I don't have my phone in my hand, like I definitely understand how these kids feel because I do feel anxious 
knowing, like if my phone dings at night, like I, I feel a little pit in my stomach, like is something going on, I'm missing. So I feel like I understand how these kids get upset when we take their stuff because I feel a physical reaction to not having access to my own phone. So I think it's not just the kids, it's, you know, they watch us, we're doing the same thing. That's very true, they're, they're observing all the time. And I, I get this this awful feeling in, as well if, if I don't have my sponsors. <laughs> so I'm going to take a commercial break and get my sponsor fix. And we'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're super grateful for you listening to the Dr. Joe Show. If you have anyone that you think might be a good sponsor, shoot us an email at drjoepodcast at gmail.com. D-R-J-O-E podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about the show, too. We're wondering, are we talking to the trees or are people really gaining value in this? Please let us know. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of the show. Larry says we're back. Thank you, Larry. Larry says we're back here live at WATD with an amazing guest, Dr. Joe, yeah. Kim Barassa, talking yeah. about amazing people. Yeah. We got one right here. Yeah, and, and you know, the first part of the show, we were talking about the influence that you've had on so many people. Uh, we use this word roping in, and I, I just want to counter that because roping in sounds like you're dragging someone, but I think you're inspiring people. Definitely. And that's different than roping people in. And I wonder whether part of the frustration that you may be experiencing, how do you apply that same inspirational technique to help kids not mm. use screens? What can we provide for them that is even more compelling? But in order to do that, again, we go back and understand the brain, what's happening, and unfortunately, it might not be us old folks who can get this message across. Peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer. Like drug story theater. Like drug story theater. Same concept. Yeah, it really Same is. Same solve. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, with drug story theater, these are the kids who are in their own recovery. Um, they talk about the seduction of addiction to and recovery from drugs and alcohol, but it could just as easily be about screen time. Mm. Um, and then they present these plays that they create to an audience so the treatment of one becomes a prevention of many. It's going to be really interesting because kids don't think that this is an addictive substance. I think right now it's because it a student that I work with was recently diagnosed with a screen addiction, which I had never seen in a report from a neuropsych testing. And I don't think it's in the, is it DSM? It's not in DSM. Nope. Right. It's not yet, but I think it's going to head there because yep. this lady that was presenting to the preschool parents was saying there are now treatment programs for kids who are truly addicted. Yes. That they can actually document. So I think that as that starts to happen, there are going to be, and I think people are realizing it. So I don't know that, Every kid's at that level that they need that. Like my, the boys are with me. Like right now they're at sleepover camp. And I literally felt like I had to, before they went, start to like gradually mm. face. Because they're mm -hmm. there with no screens. Right. Like you couldn't bring anything. They're going to withdraw. Right. 
So, so one of the treatment techniques for families who are struggling with this is, is actually gaming during a session. Uh, and there's a lot of literature on this. It's a very interesting intervention. So, you know, you're talking with the kid and their family about the conflict that happens because they're gaming. And then you let them game in the session. And usually what will happen is it's a recreation of the conflict. And then at least you've got a professional there who can help process it. And look, look what happened, and here's part of why, and you know, how do we then manage it from there? So you know, for families, you as a parent may want to actually play some of the game for a little bit. Yeah. Get involved. You know, see what it's like, understand it, have your kid teach you, and now it becomes more of a social component. And you say, okay, this is going to be great. We're going to play together for now, and then we're going to go have dinner. Mm. And maybe there's a way to not just incorporate it into the family, but build that bond back between you and your kids. Because that's the part that we really struggle with, you know. Just like any addiction, it seems as if the person who is addicted is choosing the drug over you. That's not what's happening. That's what it looks like. But what's happened is the drug itself is interfering with the brain chemicals that create that bond. It's not about morality. It's about mortality. It's just the way the brain is. This is no different um, so there are certain strategies that we could probably implement uh, family by family to do that. But the first thing is just to acknowledge it's not because you have a bad kid. Right. And it's not because you've been a bad parent. You know, if you think that, then you will interact with your kid in such a way that can compound the very thing you're trying to solve. I think it's hard, too, because the kids feel like it's more social. Like, we, like our kids used to go play at people's houses, mm-hmm. and now they're online playing with 200 kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they're in these rooms with other people. So for some of the kids that I teach, the, the kids with autism that really were secluded, now they have, like, people and they fit in more because they have, they connect, they have the language and, and that. So sometimes people feel like they're more connected, but they're in their house. They're not as connected, like face-to-face. So that's what I feel like is the kids think, oh, I, I'm on the phone with my friends and I'm playing with my friends. And right. their definition of playing with friends isn't our old people definition of playing yeah. with friends. And again, I, I don't think it's about saying you, you can't do this. Right. It's the time that you're doing it, right. how much time you're spending on it. And that's the part that, that is insidious because that part of your brain isn't working right. at that point. You're not, you're not thinking my God, I've been here for hours. There, there, there's also, you know, kids who say, I, I completely lose track of time. I had right. no idea that I was doing this for like six hours. Right. You know, there's a whole another literature on it about because it's so sedentary, a lot of these kids are now showing up with more health problems. And just like any of us old folks who are sitting in our office doing work without getting up and using our treadmill. So a lot of stuff, um, and there's way, way more to talk about, but it's an I am. 
I mean, that's the thing. We're not going to judge it. It's still the best the person can do based on the four domains, the home domain, the social domain, the biological, and the IC, the way I see myself, the way I think other people see me. Because the four domains interact, there are two truths. The first truth, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. A small change in any domain can have a big effect. So, Kim, based on what we're talking about, what small change would you recommend to your listeners or that you would interact? I think just the awareness of it and then, like, setting some boundaries around it so it's not unlimited and it's trying to, like, the bargaining that we do at school is, okay, we're going to do this and then you can have this, but it's not you just get this all the time because I think that just making people more aware of the problem is half of our challenge. I, I mean, I honestly didn't realize the magnitude of the problem until, you know, after COVID we came into school and the kids are really, really fighting us. And then having my two little friends that are staying with me because my kids are out of that phase. So I didn't really realize it. So I think just thinking about it and really being thoughtful with their time and scheduling their activities so that it's not, unlimited access because it really does change their personalities when they have unlimited access so I think helping to come up with things that we all can do together like you said okay we're going to have this time together maybe we play a game together but playing Monopoly like they do like Monopoly and before the computers came into the house they were playing Monopoly and finding some of those things that maybe they don't get the same amount of dopamine that they got from playing Fortnite but something that's you know realizing that this is something fun to do together and it's competitive and they learn different skills but but when you're playing a game with someone you're you're not just getting dopamine you're also with that social interaction so you're also getting that all of those other neurochemicals but you're learning about each other as well and it can be a place for conversation and you can really begin to explore i I remember when we used to play monopoly Becca was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years old was playing. And um, she just got in a hotel, and somebody <laughs> landed on it. And they give her the money, and she goes, thank you. <laughs> and it was just great. It was like, you know, thank you. And it just... The spirit of the game. The spirit of the game. Yeah. And the, the thing. So, um, yeah, so that that's a small change can have a big effect, is being able to... You know, interact with your kid and not get mad at them because they're playing. Don't take it personally and get involved in the game as well with a timer. Say, okay, when this happens, then we go and we're going to go have dinner or do something else as a family. So small changes. The second truth I am, everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home and social domain so this means you control no one, you influence everyone, and you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Kim Aressa, who has done so much for so many, what kind of influence do you want to be? I mean, I really want to help keep spearheading things that are going to decrease the amount of time that the kids in Marshall, or all kids, are on screens. I just think it's like we have to start this movement. It has to start somewhere, and I think we can help the kids do more things like I love that the boys and girls club is committed to not having the screens and I love that the after school program like those kids are there every day not playing on screens until they get home so I think that I really want to just keep coming up with other um, outlets for kids 
you know, to be able to do things like whether it's starting a bike club because now we have lots of bikes at the Boys and Girls Club and the kids can ride bikes and do other things. So, I mean, I kind of feel like this is going to be my new cause because it's just something that I've witnessed firsthand and I'm really worried that it's going to not go in the right direction if people don't start having conversations about it. I don't like the thought that it's like, oh, it's here and we're just going to let it go. We have to keep implementing some type of change so that these kids really do have a chance when they grow up and they do have those relationships with people and it's not just their head buried in the phone. Yeah. No one's going to scare you out of using. So we got to come up with some other social thing and maybe we could create a a peer-to-peer group like a drug story theater. That would be really interesting. I think that there are kids out there who get involved. So, great show. Thank you so much well, for being here tonight, Kim. And folks, let's, uh, let's keep our eye on this. We can yeah, do it. for sure. Good night, everyone. Have a great week. Good night. Vincent Van Gogh, cut off his ear.